So, um, I want to give you a brief recap. This morning we're going to look at as cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves, eh? All right, you're not as excited as I am. That's okay, I'm excited. Hopefully that'll come. So let's do a brief recap. So, if we only seek to speak, you won't have anything to say. But if we, uh, if, if we only seek to speak... Let's just start again. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. We're dealing with a slightly overclass day this morning. If we only seek to speak, we won't have anything to say, okay? But if we seek, if we become seekers, if we become people looking for treasure, then we're going to have to have, have or we're going to have, can we start again? <laughs> we're going to have something worth communicating. Proverbs 25.2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and to search out a matter is the glory of kings. But we also want to seek to speak. And I've said this numerous times, and hopefully it's stuck in with you, but people will argue with your theology, but they cannot argue with your story, with your testimony and what God's been doing in your life, no matter how small that is and how big that is. And sometimes the little things that we say have such a big impact about in people's lives. So just because in one circumstance you think, okay, I think to say this, whereas in other circumstances you think to give much more of a chapter of your life, well, this happens happened to me, and then this happened, and then I discovered this, and then I don't know whether you believe in God or not, but I do, and this is what happened, and this is how my life's changed. But sometimes it can just be as simple as, you don't need to worry about that. People go, oh, something different about the way he said that. So sometimes the small stuff's the big stuff. And last week we were talking about the catalyst of compassion. We looked at the clarity of compassion and how it uh, can allow you to see people for who they really are. We talked about the God of compassion, that he is absolutely full of it. And if you've experienced that punch of compassion that I was talking about last week, if you didn't hear the message, it's on podcast. It'd be worthwhile listening to. Um, just about whenever you, compassion hits you, it can really double you over because you have a real sense of what, what's going on in the person's life. And if we understand that, then we understand something of the heart of God. If you're like me, I have to renew my mind that he's not impersonal that he's not uh, beyond and above our circumstances, he is very much present in them and feels them to a greater degree than we do to the point at times where the Spirit will say, that hurt you, because we're not aware of it, but he is. So he's the God of compassion. Then the call of compassion. So compassion is really a catalyst. It, it thumps you and calls you into uh, giving out and expressing some sort of ministry. The cost of it, well... It means that you have to get rid of your own ideas and your own expectations sometimes and your own plans to be able to respond to it. And then the catalyst of compassion, it's an opportunity. And this year, we've said that this is the year of opportunity, and it's a year where we catalambano. If you've been around us at all, you know that it's a favorite buzzword at the minute. It's, it means to grab a hold of. So to catalambano an opportunity, like when compassion is given, is to say to the Spirit, well, what do you want me to do? And then to respond to that. And the power of the kingdom is entrusted to those who have the heart of the king. We can often want, to, want things, want to know things, want to experience different spiritual things, but really it's not about that. If you read the love passage in, in Corinthians, basically what God communicates there is, look, you can dance around, do whatever you want, but if you don't love, you are just a gong that just resonates for a while and then just dissipates. So this is all about love. You go and have your wonderful spiritual experiences and times with God. And believe me, we need to know that he loves us. We need to experience things. But unless that results in us loving others and loving well, then let's just not bother. Okay? 
Right. Today then, as cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves, about sizing up the circumstance and about keeping clean. I don't know if you're like me at all, but that when Jesus said, I want you to be as cunning as snakes, it's a wee bit like, and even the word serpent, it's just a wee bit. You know, it was the serpent that got us into this trouble at the start anyway. What are you telling us to be like them for? But when he says to be as innocent as doves, we're okay with innocent as doves, aren't we? That's what we should be. If we love Jesus, then we should be innocent and flappy and floaty and easily just distracted. Oh, yes, I'm just a dove-like, dove-like. But what does it look like to be a snake? Slithery? Snakey? Are there any positive words at all associated with a snake? I, I would struggle to find one. So we're going to dig into that a little bit this morning. Let me read this. Matthew 10, 16 to 20. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And you'd now be council. We found one of them Christians. Okay, some of you got that. Handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So I've never understood this, which was kind of good to be able to dig into this this morning, because if Jesus said we're to be like something, then obviously it's important that we do. So if you notice, there are four animals in this phrase. I never noticed this before. There are wolves, there are lambs, there are snakes, and there are doves. Is that not quite interesting? I thought that was, my goodness. There's a different nature attached to each of these creatures, and we're going to pull some of these things out. So I want to look at context so Jesus said that he was sending out the disciples into this context. And the word send, I've, I've dug into a lot of the Greek this morning, just because it really, you know, particularly for that word about being shrewd, you really want to get a handle on what Jesus is saying, okay? So the word send is apostello, which, as you know, comes from the word apostle. Apo meaning away from, and stello to send. And it's about being sent on a defined mission by a superior, so a defined mission. So the question I want to ask first of all is, what's your specific mission? Well, I've just been sent to go and create disciples of all nations. Well, first question is, are you a disciple? Well, what's a disciple? Well, maybe you are. Well, what about making disciples? Do you know how to make disciples? If you do, well and good. If you don't, we can help you with that. That's what we're about. But we're talking about a specific mission. Do you remember the TV show Quantum Leap? And he used to leap from life to life, hoping to find a way home. But each time that he leapt into a different circumstance, he uh, had to discover what was going on. Do you remember Al? Al had the wee key thing. He was always smoking a cigar, and he used to hit it. And he would get little bits and pieces of information, and they would say, okay, well, this person died at this point, and your job is to do something differently so that it would all change. What they say about it on Wikipedia of all places is it was an American science fiction television series that originally aired on NBC for five seasons from 1989, isn't that ridiculous, through May 1993. Dr. Sam Beckett, a physicist who leapt through space-time during an experiment in time travel by temporarily taking the place of other people to correct historical mistakes. 
And it took some time for them to figure out what the mission was, why he was there, and more often than not, it was about a lesser character. And in the end, it was Al, who Sam's advisor was, that would let him know what had happened to the individual. So I remember one of the episodes, I think, it, it looked like he was to correct this one thing, but in him correcting that one thing, this little guy who was maybe a boy of eight years old in 1964 ended up being the president later on. So the implications of the little change meant something massive, not to the individual, but to others around them. So you've been sent on a specific mission. So what's your current assignment? If you love Jesus, right now you've been sent on a specific mission. So what's your current assignment? If you don't normally think like that, then it's a good time to start asking that question. Because he's specific we can get this impression of God that he just gives these vague uh, overviews, and sometimes he does do that. But we've been looking at this verse, Proverbs 25.2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. So what does that look like for you? You've been sent on a specific mission, so what's your current assignment? Because there is one. It can be about uh, you, and it can be about adding skills to your life that you will specifically need in the future. It is definitely about God and who he wants to reveal himself to be to you in this current season. It's about individuals. It's all about groups of people. And it's also about how God wants to minister to them and who he wants to be through you to them. Remember, we're the stained glass window. And when the sunlight comes, all of the God colors come out. So you're an individual and you're unique with unique backgrounds, with unique history and experiences and pains and all sorts of things. And God has plopped you right in that circumstance. So what's your specific assignment right now? And it will be understood in its fullness if you take the time to retrospectively. But you've got to live this forwards. So it's easy to understand, well, when I did that, that was about that. But the gold is being able to understand what he's doing right here and right now and then to participate with that. Okay? Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I said this last week, you cannot understand what God's will is until you have your mind renewed. So, if you're in a circumstance, and this is the first time somebody said to you, what's your specific mission, and what's your current assignment? And you're going, I've never thought about my life like that. Well, ask the Spirit, where do I need to have my mind renewed? Because until you do that, the will of God will be be beyond your understanding. Okay? So think about it logically. Don't put the cart before the horse. You need to ask Him, where do you want to renew my mind? Well, here's the first thing. You're on a specific assignment. He sent you there. You've got things to do, and you've got everything that you need. You also are going to gather things right now where you are for where you're going in the future. So if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you will hear what the Spirit is prophesying to you about your future and your present. I was sweeping up popcorn in the cinema in the late 90s, and for some reason, it was really, it just felt like every bit of popcorn kept being pointed out to me, and I learned that I was supposed to do the job really, really well, and I was all pleased because at one point the cleaner said, I love it when I see that you're on because I know the place is going to be spotless, and the Spirit said to me, learn to see the duties of the king and the simple role of the shepherd boy. 
So in the simple places where you are now, whatever you do, learn to see the duties of the king in the simple role of the shepherd boy. Let him renew your mind. Okay? It's a mind that trusts God. It's a mind that's at peace. It's free of the guilt of the shoulds. I'm going through that a little bit at the minute. There's a little bit of guilt wants to hop on me in my current role and work. I'm going to explain that a little bit later on, but I'm resisting it because it's not helpful. It just makes me feel like I should rather than, oh, here's my moment, and then I say things. It's the mind of an individual that knows the truth and has been set free by the truth, which is John 8, 32. So if you're free, you're not under pressure. You may be under conviction. Conviction is not necessarily pressure. Shoulds is... Your, ver- your worth and your value is linked to the should. Conviction is, this is my moment and I need to do this. And God's going, now son. But I'm a child of God. My worth is settled because he's my father. If I've got the shoulds, I'm being pushed out because if I don't, then my worth isn't going to be realized because I didn't do the thing I was going to do. What Jesus does and says, Nathan, I absolutely adore you son. And we go, okay, why are you saying that to me? And then he'll say it again and again and again to the point that it breaks us. We go, my goodness, he really loves me. Then he'll say, would you mind going doing that for me? Why does he do it that way? Because he needs you to know that you're secure. If you don't know that you're secure with him, then you're going to do all of the things that you should do out of insecurity. Okay? So we want to be free from the shoulds. And part of the having your mind renewed is that you don't actually have to do anything. You have a choice. And he loves you anyway. Okay? So the context is Jesus is sending us out among wolves. So what are the tendency of wolves? Well, they're aggressively greedy and they're grasping. They're wanting or devouring great quantities of food. And they are feeling or reveal an overt sexual interest or desire. Does that sound at all like the current context in which we live in? Everybody's obsessed with sex. Everybody's obsessed with money. Everybody's obsessed with having more than anybody's had ever before. That is the context in which Jesus set his disciples out and it is context in which he's sending them out right now. So we need to know that we are not being sent out into sugar lollipop land. La, 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 la. We're being sent out, and it's dangerous. They want to take you down. And the thing is that they don't even know that they really want to take us down. They don't know why they're angry with us. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the principalities, against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. That's what we're dealing with. So we need to know that we're being sent on a specific assignment to be accomplished to accomplish a task out among wolves. A wolf's real personality is often hidden under the character of his or her social position. They are intelligent, non-aggressive, and friendly with the ability to make strong emotional attachments. These are among some of the traits we can generalize about the wolf. We need to know the context that we're being sent into. And if you don't know the context, wait to understand the context. Unless the Spirit says, do this right now. If He tells you to do something right now, do it. Because He's telling you to do something that might not be the normal way to do it. But it's logical. When you go somewhere new, you want to get to know people. You want to take your time. You want to assess what's going on. You need to get to know the context. 
So Jesus is doing that. So there's a principle in that. He's telling you what you're going into. He's telling you that because you need to know that. So the other, the other bit is that like sheep. Now, when somebody says you're like a sheep, is that a, normally a positive thing? So we're dealing with the negativity about a snake, and we're also dealing with the negativity about a sheep. So he's telling us that we are sheep, and then we're going to need to be like a snake. So what do we do with that? What is he saying? Well, if the initial response is that it's just yuck and just drags you down, no, hold on, it's a perverse tongue. Proverbs 15.4 says that it's a perverse tongue that crushes you and oppresses you. So if that's your initial response, you're not hearing what he's communicating. And the gold in this, in reading the Bible, is that we want to hear what God is communicating. And he said, okay, so there's a couple of warning lights on your dashboard. If you feel crushed or oppressed or overwhelmed, that's a warning light. That is not what I'm communicating. The enemy wants you to believe that that's the truth. But if there's peace, the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, peace-loving, then you're on it, okay? So a sheep, the word in Greek is probaton, which is someone who is easily led one way or the other. Again, sounds very negative, like a sheep. Also properly refers to any animal that grazes, goes out to pasture, but especially the sheep. So, Let's lay down all of that easily led being a negative thing. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. I want to be easily led by the right guy. The different thing is that if we're easily led, we just go, he said to go this way. Oh, somebody else said to go that way. Oh, there's a different teaching. Oh, actually. Oh, what about this? No, I'm listening to that voice. And when that voice speaks, I'm easily led. So strip back and let's have a reminder in you about what he's saying. He wants us to be easily led by him. I don't particularly want Jesus saying to me, you're stubborn, son, and you need to die to that. Because he's able to kick that stubbornness out of me. Anybody else got a few t-shirts? He's not hard to follow. And the other thing is that they, this word refers to an animal that that grazes and goes out to pasture. We have abundance in Jesus Christ. Wolves do not. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we need to recognize that we've been sent into this counterculture where they don't have a lot of food and they're fighting for their own. In Jesus Christ, we have absolute abundance and he's able to lead us to the places where we need the grace. In our world, we yield to the shepherd and the more we yield, the more whole we become. In that world of wolves, it's about being the alpha. In our world, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In their world, you need to get everybody else to die and you need to fight to live. The more we'll yield to him, the more whole we become. They're like wolves because they don't have a shepherd and therefore they kill to find food. The difference is we die to find ours. In their world, they kill to get what they need. 
In our world, we die to find ours. Sheep don't need a pack order because they have a shepherd. I couldn't care less whether you're the alpha male in your world. He's the alpha in mine and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's it. I don't need to prove myself. He can help me be or tell me to be whatever he wants me to be. If I'm secure in him, it won't matter. There'll still be a kingly thing about me because that's the reality of who I am. Wherever I work, whatever context I'm in, whatever's happened, it doesn't change my identity because it's about him. In the world, in the world of wolves, well, it's about what you own, what you have, where you work, what you do, what you wear, how you speak, your accent. You know that. Our world's different. We are led by the shepherd and those the shepherd chooses to lead. Okay, cunning or shrewd as a serpent. So I've never really understood this. Like I said, I've always thought that it was a very, very negative thing. I didn't really know. It was one of those, I'll just accept it because Jesus said it. But actually, the more you dig into it, there's a lot of uh, gold comes about it. The association that we have solely with it being about the enemy, the devil, and the serpent and the fall of man, we need to be able to suspend that because he's actually not talking about that right now. He's saying, look beyond the surface of what you've been inoculated with into what he's actually saying about the behavior of a serpent. So the word shrewd means having or showing sharp powers of judgment or astute. Cinnamon, cinnamon, synonyms, synonyms. That thing that you put on your cornflakes. Uh, astute, sharp-witted, sharp, acute, intelligent, clever, alert, canny, media savvy, perceptive, observant, discriminating, sagacious, sage, or wise, far-seeing, far-sighted, and there's a whole heap more. The word that the Bible uses is phroneo, means to have understanding or to think. It means to properly regulate from within as inner perspective and insight. It shows itself in corresponding outward behavior. And the guys who translate this say it is an idea that's difficult to translate into English because it combines the visceral and cognitive aspects of thinking. Now, what do these two words mean? Which is why I've put them in because I didn't understand it. Visceral means not intellectual. It means instinctive, unreasoning, dealing with crude or elemental emotions. So you, you meet with somebody and you think, there's something, I just am uneasy about that individual. Ever anybody had that experience? I think we all have. Then the other part is the cognitive, where you're looking at somebody and you're watching somebody and you observe them and you come to a conclusion from that part as well. So what Jesus is talking about here is we need to be astute, we need to be responsive to the spirit and circumstances, and we also need to be incredibly observant as to what's going on. That's what a snake does. Are we there? So when we go into different circumstances, God is looking for us to go, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And what do I see? So he's not saying that how we see is wrong. He's saying you need to marry those two together. It's both and. So when we go in, we're just quite easy going. And I have to say this new work context for me is very helpful, and I'll speak about this in a second. But when you go in, you're looking, and you're observing, and you're recognizing, and you're noticing, and you're thinking about who are these people, and you're also listening to the Spirit. A snake does both. 
So we want to be exactly the same. Wisdom is found in waiting. Letting things be revealed and waiting for opportunities. And wisdom is most certainly found in peace. Dennis um, has said that peace is the soil of revelation. So if you have a lot of confusion going on in your life or hassle and you don't know what way to turn, get yourself at a place of peace. And that's a place normally that you'll find uh, revelation. That's where God will drop insight into. So in work at the minute, I've started this new job. I'm in this new office. And uh, I, they don't know an awful lot about me at all. And to be honest, I, I've been there now three or four weeks and I haven't told them a whole heap. And the shoulds that I was talking about is, well, Colin, you're a Christian. Not only you're a Christian, but you're a pastor. And therefore, you should be telling everybody about Jesus Christ every living, waking minute. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, sounds like the shoulds. I'm just going to sit and I'm just going to observe. So I'm watching and I'm waiting and I'm listening to the Spirit. And there's been a couple of things that have come up. And I'm just taking my ease and my time and let's just see how we go. And we're going to build a relationship and we're going to see what happens. And I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is that this is the year of opportunity. And when the opportunity comes, like a snake, we're able to seize them. Ooh, snake. It's a bit yucky, isn't it? Ooh, I don't want to be like a snake. I'm supposed to be like a dove. Goo, goo. (laughs) No, you need to be like a snake. Jesus Christ is not to be messed with. It's not the, as Billy Connolly said, the shortbread tin image. Oh, by the body prayer. It's not the, oh, Lord. He's like a Jedi Knight. You don't want to mess with him. I want to mess with people with love. I want to be in the context. I want to be astute. I want to recognize people's personalities, their propensities, the things that they struggle with, and I want to listen to the Spirit. And when it's the right time, I want to offer them a word of wisdom, some insight, some encouragement, something that helps them with where they're at. I want to be able to love them. If I don't become like a snake in the positive sense, I'm never going to be able to do that in the way that Jesus has asked me to do. So we watch We listen with our physical ears and we look with our physical eyes and we listen with our spiritual ears and we look with our spiritual eyes and we wait. And when the time comes, we seize it and we inject them not with poison that will kill them, but with life that's going to change them forever. You know, the whole difficulty about this is the fact that the serpent's heart was utterly for destruction. He wanted to get a hold of Eve so that he could get a hold of what God had given to Adam and Eve. It's about the heart of the serpent. The serpent's heart was awful. My heart's good. What about yours? If you've been renewed by Jesus, you have a new heart beating in your chest. You don't need to be afraid when Jesus compares you to like a snake. It's not a negative thing. He's not saying, let's be like the devil, people. He's saying, let's be like a snake. Let's look at how the serpent deceived Eve. Now, the serpent was more crafty. This is Genesis 3, 1 to 6. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you mustn't eat for the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit of the tree of life that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you'll die. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. The serpent read Adam and Eve correctly. He sized them up, and he deceived them. The serpent's actions were bad because his motives were bad, but we've got to glean wisdom from the ability of the serpent and implement it because our hearts are good. We are not to deceive, we are out to reveal Jesus Christ. Serpents can read situations, they're opportunists, they wait for their opportunity and size up how best to take it. They understand those they prey on. We pray about others in a very different way. Serpents know how to cut and lambano their opportunity. Okay, are we good with that? So you want to be like a snake. That'll be a good one. What did you learn in church today? Well, the pastor was speaking about how we need to be snake-like. Whoa, I'm not going to ask you where your church is. This is the good one. So those in the podcast, you can take a break. This is about being as innocent as doves. We like this one. Goo, goo. It's all lovely. Oh, he's talking about doves now. It's wonderful. Don't talk about snakes. Snakes are bad. No, they're not. That one was. So the word innocent is akiros, which is an adjective. This is in the Greek that means uh, not mixed or mingled, not a destructive nature or mixture because they're not tainted by sinful motives. They're pure. They're simple. Doves are unsophisticated. They're sincere and they're blameless. Can I get you guys up? They're pure and blameless in their conduct. And doves are symbols of purity in the Bible. When you look at Genesis 8, you can have a look at that. And it's verse 11. Noah sent out a raven. And the raven went to and fro in the earth until it found dry land and it never came back. The dove, on the other hand, he sent out a dove twice. When he sent the dove out the first time, it came back. So what do we learn from that? Don't send a raven to do a dove's job. Okay? Don't be sending people in your life to do things when they're not dove-like. You want to find the pure-hearted. The pure-hearted will come back to you. Ravens, they're just going to go and find where they can rest and rest. Noah sent the dove out again and it came back with an olive leaf. The olive leaf is a symbol of life and it's also the promise of oil, anointing, blessing. The dove brought hope, it brought peace, it brought confirmation of God's goodness. It prophesied the promised land. The dove also communicates God's a God of his word. The flood came and the flood was going to leave. I'm quite sure they were going, when is this thing ever going to leave? The raven didn't come back. But when the dove came back, hope was sparked. We are to bring these dove-like attributes into a world of wolves. And some of them are sheep in wolves' clothing. We are for them. Sheep in wolves' clothing. Would you like to stand with me? To further unpack this, in 2003, being someone who's very much all or nothing, um, God had done something with me and I thought this needs a significant outward working of what's happened to me internally. So I decided I think that what I should do is start to be known by my second name. And I remember communicating that to some people and they went, you're off your rocker, son. My middle name's Mark and my first name's obviously Colin. So I thought, right, I'm going to be known by Mark. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, it's about both. Because Colin means dove-like and Mark means warlike. It's about both. It's always about both. 
as cunning and shrewd as a serpent, is able to size up a circumstance, sneaky, be able to watch it and see what's going on, and then come along and just drop the Holy Spirit in. They go, I don't know what's happening to me. And we go, I know this is difficult. And inside we're going, I know exactly what's happening to you. I've been waiting for months to say it, and now it's the right time. Sneaky for the kingdom. Are we all right with that? And we need to be innocent. People need not to be able to pin stuff on us. Well, I, I actually can't say anything about that guy. He's kind. He's also incredibly sneaky. Did you see? There's somebody else crying. I know what happened there. I don't know what happened there. Jesus Christ is what happened there. So can we be both these things? So, as you always know, there are questions to help you to respond. So do you need courage to stand your ground in a world of wolves? I certainly do. Do you need to become more discerning, like the serpent, to watch and wait for your opportunity to speak and reveal Jesus Christ? Or do you need to become more peaceful, faithful, and bring hope to a world out to see a promised land? If you want to respond now, then please come and join me.